Tonight's, uh, we're, we're in Mark again, Mark chapter 15, the first 20 verses of Mark 15, if you want to turn there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to, to grab one on either side of me. There are ESV Bibles, paperback Bibles. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to grab one. And if you don't have an ESV Bible or you don't have any Bible or whatever, feel free to take that home with you as our gift to you. Um, the ESV is, in my mind, the, the best translation that's out there. So if you don't have an ESV Bible, please uh, take one with you. We got plenty, I promise. Uh, so we're in Mark chapter 15, and we're in the series, uh, moving towards the end of the series, uh, that we've called Images of Jesus. If you look at that slide above me, um, it's very intentional that we've, we've done this. Uh, Mark's writing style is a very quick-hitting writing style. It's, it's less synoptic, less like we're, we're reading uh, a novel or less like we're watching a movie and more like series of images of Jesus designed to capture Jesus as this suffering servant. And never before, so far in the first 14 chapters, none of those 14 chapters captured Jesus in an image as a suffering servant like we the, the stuff we get to read tonight. He is uh, the perfect, breathtaking, beautiful image of the suffering servant. So I want us to to see that as we get here, but also as we continue on tonight, that this is uh, a perfect illustration of the quick-hitting, quick themes of, of Mark to, to paint a picture of who Jesus is and helping us to, to see who he is. So Jesus here tonight, if, if I could label who he is here in this passage, he is the suffering servant that knows what's coming in the end. He's a suffering servant who knows what's coming at, at the end. Uh, and he's also here, what we'll see is uh, to be like Christ. And ultimately, that's the purpose of Scripture, is to reveal God and reveal His Son, Jesus, to us, so that we can pattern our lives after Him, so that we can have our lives transformed by Him to become more like Him. So to be like Jesus is to suffer well with the big picture in mind. Um, I want to lay down some, uh, some background before we get into the heart of the text, uh, so I want to show you uh, an image of the map. Uh, fire that up there, Kyle. Uh, several things to note here, what we've talked about in the past. Uh, Label number one up there in the upper right-hand corner is the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, which is where made and, and Rose resolved to go and, and die this death. And he goes down to number two there, the palace of the high priest. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, when we were last in the series of Mark. Uh, he was before Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is uh, a Jewish guy. He is the high priest. He's the ruler. He's the guy who makes everybody comes to for the, the final decisions, the final laws. If the Jews want to do anything important, they got to get Caiaphas's permission to do so. The, however, the Jews are. Uh, I'll, I'll get to what's going on with with who they are after this this image. But after they leave the palace of the high priest, they move to the palace of Herod. You see listed there is number three, Herod the Great and the, the praetorium, the, the big auditorium that's there in the palace of Herod the Great. And we won't look at this tonight. Mark, again, is very quick hitting. He, he combines the two trials before, uh, before Pilate into one, which we'll, the story we'll hear tonight. So verse 3 and 5 up there on the map are the two trials that happened before Pilate. And then they go back to four, which, which is a trial before Herod Antipas. If you look in, in Matthew and Luke and John, 
the more synoptic of the Gospels and the more uh, literal and, and flowing translations of the Gospels, they, both, they all three talk about the, the, his time before Herod Antipas and the second trial before Pilate. But Mark condenses them all into one story that we, we read tonight. And so that's the image of, of where we're with as we talk tonight what's been going on is they were just a couple of days ago in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then they were before the high priest, and now the high priest comes here. More background to lay out, information, political stuff that, that's been going on. Israel, the Jews, are a client state of Rome, all right? The, and what that means is they're subject to the rule of the Romans. So anything important that happens among the Jews, they have to get permission from the Romans to do them. One instance of something they weren't allowed to do is they weren't allowed to execute anyone. The governor must give the sentence. So for a capital punishment to, to be decreed and to be handed down, the Jews have to get permission from Rome, which is why they're before Pilate. You, you saw we talked last week about, or three weeks ago, about uh, their, their time in front of Caiaphas, the high priest. He's a Jew. He doesn't have the right to sentence Jesus to death. Pilate, the guy they're before tonight, is the governor. Uh, and he is, his priorities are to maintain peace and control. Because, uh, ultimately, Pilate has his position of authority granted to him by Caesar. And if he loses his, his authority, or if he loses the peace, or, or things get crazy, Caesar is going to take Pilate out of, out of power. So ultimately, Pilate's main motivation is to keep the peace and keep things under control. So, another thing to note. The accused must have committed a capital offense under Roman law and not Jewish law. What in the, the trial before Caiaphas, Jesus committed what they accuse him of, of blasphemy, by saying, I am the Christ. Okay, that's blasphemy. We've, I'm going to tear down the temple. That's blasphemy, which is a capital offense under Jewish law. However, because Jews are a client state, they do what Rome tells them to do. If it's not, blasphemy is not a capital offense. It's not a, a, an offense punishable by death. So they've got to figure out something else to kill Jesus, which is why we see the first line in our scripture tonight. It is, they transfer from him committing a capital offense under Jewish law to him committing a capital offense under Roman law. Uh, so we see that in the 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 first verse here. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests, that is Caiaphas and all the other Sanhedrin people, all the religious leaders, got together and they held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. So the whole Sanhedrin gets together and, okay, what are we going to do? We've sentenced him to death and they're probably talking in this meeting that we don't have the authority to kill him and we don't have, he's not committed an offense that we've convicted him of that the, the Romans will allow us to kill him, so we've got to figure something out. We've got to have this, this council. They figured it out. So they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. We're going to take you to Pilate so that we can figure out some way that he will give us permission to kill you. Verse 2. They go before Pilate, and uh, notice again, the quick hitting. They, they aren't talking about all the stuff that happened along the way. They just quickly get right into the heart of the matter. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews, which is high treason in Rome. Under Roman law, to be the king, you are subverting the real king, which is Caesar. So if Jesus claims to be the king, which is what the 
the religious leaders, the Jews, had, had accused him of, that's treason, which is punishable by death. So Mark cuts right to the chase, right to the heart of the things, and he gets, and, and Pilate asks him, okay, these guys are saying you're the king of the Jews. Are you the king of the Jews? And this is the only thing that Mark records that Jesus says. You have said so. Yes, indeed, I am the king of the Jews. So now there's more conversation that happens in Matthew and Luke and John about what's happening, the, the conversation that led to this. But Mark is, again, let's, let's retrace and see what Mark is about. Mark is, is written by Mark via Peter. Peter gave Mark his information, and Mark wrote it down. And the intended hearers, the original hearers who Mark is writing to are Roman Christians. So they're very familiar with the law, very familiar with what happened here. And so Mark gets right to the point of, we're not going to worry about blasphemy. We're not going to worry about any of that other stuff. We're going to get to the heart of a Roman law that's been broken for which we can kill him. Verse 3. The chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. See, I, I want to clarify and underline again this suffering servant who knows what's at the end. He is being treated unfairly. He's being treated unjustly. But ultimately, Christ is here. What he's saying by his silence and what he's saying by his, his, even his presence at this trial is that I will suffer for people who despise me. I will suffer for people who abandon me. I will suffer for people who tell lies about me. And I will do it willingly. And I'll lay down my life for this and, and not put up a fuss at all. Just relax and allow this to happen. Again, he's not going into great detail, but painting a quick picture, trying to get us to understand that Jesus is the suffering servant. Verse 6. Now at the feast, again, this is the, the feast of the Passover. This Passover week is happening, so it's a, a big, important time in the life of the Jews, which is why Pilate is even there in the first place. Again, I talked about Pilate, the, the purpose of of Pilate's existence in Jerusalem on this day is because it's the Passover, and there's a lot of turmoil that happens during the Passover. The Jews want to rise up. The Jews hate the fact that they are being oppressed and ruled by Rome. So anytime they get together and celebrate this great history of, of the Jews in Passover, Pilate will come to make sure everything is under control and calm down. And more to that point is revealed here in verse 6 and 7. Now at the feast, the Passover, he, Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. Trying to like, okay, I'm going to give you guys a prisoner so we can calm everything down, we can be at peace, and I won't lose my job, and you guys don't go crazy. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. You guys have all heard this. If you've heard the story before, you all know who Barabbas is, and he was the guy that they should have, he was this murderer they should have brought forth, and they should have taken him instead of Jesus, but instead they killed Jesus instead of this murderer. But I want to look closer at verse 7. There are rebels in prison, and there was an insurrection. The matter-of-fact way that Mark refers to these rebels and the insurrection that happened means that these Roman Christians who are reading Mark, we are American Christians in this age. The original hearers here are Roman Christians who have been familiar with Rome and been familiar with 
the Jewish issue, the client state issue, and, and all the oppression that had taken place, and how the Jews hated the Romans because they oppressed them and, and imposed their law on them, and, and all the, the hatred that came along with that. And insurrections came up frequently. Barabbas is in prison for one of these insurrections. Okay, Remember, the Jews hate the fact that Rome is oppressing them. Barabbas is willing to go to extremes to kill, to fight that oppression. There are many people in this crowd that are here around this that will shout later, crucify him, that see Barabbas as a hero. Because he's a rebel that's here that led an insurrection trying to get rid of Rome. Because ultimately, that's what most of these Jews want. Get rid of Rome so that we can have power, we can have authority. And that's what these religious leaders wanted too. We want to hang on to our power, we want to hang on to our authority some way, somehow. They went through religious means, Barabbas went through violent means, but ultimately, they want Rome to go away and them to have their own power. And Jesus came along and they thought he was going to be the one to make Rome go away so they can have their own power, but Jesus isn't about that. He's about suffering to serve people who just don't get it. So, don't throw away the fact that Barabbas is some really bad guy. If we would have been there, we would have probably seen Barabbas as a hero to us. He's a guy willing to do something that I really want to do, but am not willing to do. He is a a, a rebel leading an insurrection. Verse 8, And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Stop and and look at the motivation of Pilate here. Pilate knows what to do, but he's not willing to go all the way to do what's right. Basically, he's saying, I don't want to kill Jesus. I don't think he's guilty. But at the same time, if I don't let him go, if I don't let somebody go, if I don't let something happen here, these guys are going to go nuts, and there's going to be another insurrection, and I'm going to lose my job. And... What goes along with losing your job in this case is most likely Caesar is going to have Pilate put to death if he doesn't control these people. So he's going to lose his job and lose his life. He is looking for a loophole. The other Gospels note, especially specifically in John and Luke, talk about how uh, Pilate's wife, you guys might remember this, had a dream that we were going to be mean to this Jesus guy and we were going to suffer greatly for the, the difficulty that we put Jesus through. And she tells her husband, do not have anything to do with this man. And he, like a wise guy, listens to his wife and says, you know what, you're right, I'm going to try and distance myself from them. And the first way he comes up with is that maybe these people will not want Barabbas, but instead they'll let Jesus go in front of them. He's trying to pass the buck, basically. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with this, so I'm going to find this loophole to jump through. Verse 10 talks about what I just said. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas instead. Remember, these, these religious leaders are really smart. They're stirring up the crowd because they know Pilate's central motivation is to keep the peace. And if he doesn't keep the peace, he's going to be in deep trouble. Pilate is trying to figure a way out of this jam. Verse 12. Pilate said again to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to him, What evil has he done? He's trying to pass the buck, trying to find a loophole to jump through. 
But they shouted all the more, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And here we see the motivation of Pilate. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd. We're going to talk in a second about the motivation of the Sanhedrin and the motivation of Pilate. But I want us to see these words and connect our sinful brains with them. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. Pilate does something really dumb. He sentences Jesus to death. And his purpose, his motivation for it, is to satisfy the crowd, to protect his own life, to protect his own well-being, his own safety, and his, his job, his position. He wants to satisfy the crowd instead of satisfy the Son of God. So he releases Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered, them, delivered him to be crucified. This scourging is the, if you guys saw The Passion of the Christ or, or read uh, The Case for Christ or other books like that, they'll talk about what's happening. It's a, a miserable, miserable experience. Jesus was bent over a, a large rock and, which, and had his naked body exposed from here to there, and they would rip a whip into his back filled with, with stones and animals' teeth and uh, just rocks and just awful stuff in this, and just rip open his flesh from the, the bottom of his neck to the, the bottom of his butt. And it's just gross. Na- that's When we see this word scourged, it doesn't do justice to ribbons of flesh and bleeding muscles and bones sticking out and just nasty awfulness happening. And I, I want to I want you guys to, to visually image that picture in your mind because images of Jesus, the writing style of Mark, here is Jesus being presented to you as the suffering servant. And he's doing it because he knows what is coming. He knows the end. In the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of our difficulties, we have to see the, the future. In the midst of Christ kneeling leaning over on this boulder, having his flesh ripped apart and his muscles ripped apart and bone hanging out, just nasty, gross, bleeding flesh. He understands there are bigger things at stake. There are more things that are happening here. And an image for us to see, it's breathtaking and it's beautiful. Verse 16. Mark is moving very quickly. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. They led him away with blood and muscle and skin dripping off of his back. They led him inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail the king of the Jews mocking Jesus in the midst of suffering. So many times, I wish we would spend more time connecting with these people and how we mock Jesus in his time of suffering and less time thinking, hey, look at us, we're really cool. We're more like these people than we are the, the John and the... Mary and Mary Magdalene and the people that were there following Christ, hurting for him. Verse 19. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. It's a, 
I want us to, to see the depth that's here. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. His back is completely exposed, flesh and muscle dripping off of his back. And people are, are making fun of him and, play, and hitting him and spitting on him and saying, oh, you're the king, oh, you're the... And Christ here lets it happen because he sees the big picture. And we're going to talk about that again in a minute. Verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus, a lot of times guys would die during this scourging. Jesus is, is near exhaustion. He hasn't slept in more than a day, and they've beat him nearly to the point of death and things that killed other men. And now he is walking to his crucifixion. I want to say what I said at the beginning. Jesus is a suffering servant that knows the end. And to be like Christ is to suffer with a big picture in mind. I want to bring a couple of things to light. We've walked through the verses. Now let's bring some application and some depth of thinking into what's happening. The motivation of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, these are religious leaders. These are, this is Caiaphas and, and these people. Uh, they are being religiously motivated. Religious leaders here are the ones that control the doctrine. They are controlling access to God. They think they have the answers. Here is God before them, and they sentence him and send him to death. They control how you get to God. Be very wary of anybody who tries to control how you get to God. They see Jesus' teaching as something different, and thus he is seen as a threat to their power and to their authority. I want to paint a, a, a different picture. This is also the heart of the Reformation. You guys might know something about Martin Luther and the Reformation. Luther rejects the teaching of the Catholic Church, the national church of the day, and how the religious leaders are exploiting the people and distorting the words of God and lording it over them, holding it over them, taking power out of the hands of the religious leaders and bringing truth to the salvation of the people. That is Luther's life, is to take the power out of the hands of the religious leaders and place it in the hands of the common people. That's what Jesus is doing here, is taking the power and authority and their perception that they know the only way to God and placing it into the hands of the people so that everyone has access to God, not just religious people. And that's what Luther does during the Reformation. He is attacking religious people. They're the power, the religious motivation of the Sanhedrin is also the power and religious motivation of the church in Luther's day. It's also the heart of our current religious climate. There are lists of religious rules that is contrary to the heart of the cross of Jesus. It's what motivates the Sanhedrin to put a yoke around the neck of these people that Jesus did not come to put in place. Jesus came to... I want to stop and, and connect with, with what I'm getting ready to say. This is the, the heart of, of what Christ's teaching is about, the heart of what this message is about, the heart of what Mark is getting to here. Jesus came to bring you into a relationship with God, a God that loves you deeply and is willing to pay this price that we're talking about to bring your soul ultimate joy 
and ultimate peace. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, doing it to bring your heart into a relationship with God that brings you ultimate joy and ultimate peace. Joy, peace, and freedom are coming, and religious control is being torn down. For us, many times we come in a conflict with Jesus, it's because we don't understand that Jesus is here and His Scripture is here to bring us to God. When we have conflict with Jesus, this confrontation is usually a power grab. We are wrestling with Jesus. When we have confrontation with Him, it's a power grab. It's a wrestling match to try and wrestle away authority. God, You don't control me. You don't have authority in my life. I'm going to wrestle it away from You so that I can do what I want to do. And we lean on religion to, to make us feel better in that. But ultimately, Jesus is not here to take away your freedom, not here to take away your joy, your, your authority, your power. He's here to bring you into perfect peace and perfect relationship with the Holy God. He's trying to bring you lasting joy, not wrestle control from you. We can perceive it as a grab for power, but that is simply a religious default. And our desire is to have control. We're born trying to gain control and gain authority for our life. I have a teenage daughter who's about to go away to school, and she graduates in in just a few months, and and she's 18, and, and all that she wants to do is grab for authority and grab for power and grab for control in her life. And we are the exact same way. I spend frustrated hours trying to convince her of that, and then I sit in my own bedroom and think and journal and realize that I am grabbing for power, grabbing for authority all over the place and wrestling with God constantly for authority and for power because I don't realize that God is not there to take power from me. He's there to bring peace to me. The religious leaders here are wrestling with God because they have no idea that Jesus is here to suffer for them, to serve them. When we have a confrontation with God, we have a confrontation with anyone, the best thing that we can do is act like Jesus and suffer and serve for them. If you're looking for something practical to take from this message tonight, here it is. When you're angry at somebody you love, when you're angry at God, when you're angry at anyone, because you perceive a conflict, get over yourself and serve them. If you're married here tonight, you're mad at your spouse, get out of bed, go do the dishes. Get out of bed, go vacuum. Guys, I'm especially talking to you. Serve. If you want to be like Christ, and that's the point of studying Scripture, is to be more like Christ after we're done studying than before. I'm telling you, serve. Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant, not so that we'll feel all sorry for him or so we'll, we'll cry when Mel Gibson makes a movie. It's so that we can see Jesus as the suffering servant come to bring peace and life to our hearts and joy to our hearts. When we serve, we're not just serving our wives, we're not just serving those we love, we are serving God. We are acting like Jesus. Man, if we could beat that into our heads. Man, if I could beat that into my head. I wish 
that I spent more time back in my living room and, and doing dishes and serving the people in my life because that's what Christ calls us to do. Serve and suffer. The motivation of Pilate. Mark 15, 15. I want to read that again. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. Wishing to satisfy the crowd. I landed on that when we first talked about it. But that reveals his motivation. Pilate is politically motivated. He is in the midst of a wrestling match with Jesus, which is ultimately a power grab. He's trying to wrestle authority away from Jesus and keep it for himself. He is concerned for his welfare. He is concerned for his continued position of power. He tries to find these loopholes. And Luke talks about this piece about Jesus being sent to Antipas because he finds out that Jesus is actually a Galilean and Galileans are under Pilate's control. They're under Antipas's control. And so that's a loophole where I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to continue this wrestling match with God. So I'm going to push him to, to Herod Antipas and Ultimately, Herod Antipas sends him back to Jesus where this stuff that we just talked about in Mark happens. Then he tries to, give them to, to get them to take Barabbas instead of Jesus, but they don't want to do it, and he's stuck. He's stuck at being, doing what's right or doing what is self-preserving. Do you see the, the fork in the road where Pilate finds himself? I can do what's right, and you can see his actions I don't, want to, I don't want to be the one who kills Jesus. My wife says, be afraid. I've had a dream. This is bad news. Stay away from this guy. So he tries to find the, the Herod Antipas loophole, and he tries to find the Barabbas loophole, but he can't. And so ultimately, he's left with the decision, I'm going to either be right or I'm going to be selfish. And what does he choose? He chooses to be selfish. The second thing that I want us to, to, to see and to end with is the bigger plan of God. He is the suffering servant. And this paints the the big picture of the bigger plan of God. The story here is Jesus silently endures the scourging, the lying, these power grabs, the pain, the abandonment. He, He suffers through all of that willingly because he knows the end of the story. The end of the story is not him dying this gruesomely painful death. The end of the story is him resurrected, showing to the disciples, showing himself to people for 40 days after, and then ascending into heaven. That's the end of the story. Jesus knows that in the midst of this. So he willingly and silently endures for the Roman Christians. What is their application? Mark is writing to these people who will stand before a pagan council, just like the one Jesus stands before that we talked about. Understand this. During the time when Mark is writing to these Roman Christians, Nero is the emperor of Rome, and his hobby is to find Christians, impale them on sticks, and set them on fire. So, these Roman Christians will be standing before pagan councils, having to give an account for who they are and what they believe, for their actions and for their beliefs. And in many ways, they will face the same problems that Jesus is facing right here and right now. And he presents these Roman Christians with this Pilate who is consumed with power and insecurity to give them strength 
to stand before this pagan council and say, you know what, put me to death. That's fine. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to suffer. Our application. And here's where we spend the last couple of minutes tonight. Looking at this image of Jesus, see him bleeding on the cross near death. This is the image of Jesus as the suffering servant. Jesus, listen to these words. Jesus, that picture of him on the cross, that picture of him bent over that stone, being his back ripped apart. He is thoroughly unconcerned with his own comfort. If you're like me, when uncomfortability arises, be it physical, emotional, spiritual, in your job, in your relationships, when uncomfortability happens, <laughs> you just feel so sorry for yourself and just whine, you act like a little freaking baby, just like I do. Jesus on the cross, suffering servant, thoroughly unconcerned with his comfort. And this is the Son of God. He's enduring lies. He's enduring power plays. Enduring a scourging. All for the sake of the bigger plan of God. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our discomfort, we have to see the bigger plan of God. Two things. We have to see pain and difficulty in this life as Purposeful. When we are suffering, there are bigger things involved than just the present pain. Just like Jesus. There's bigger things involved with Him on the cross than the present pain. What motivates Jesus to be involved in this pain and the injustice is the greater good of obedience to the Father and the redemption of mankind and setting up of the kingdom. I'm going to say that again. When we suffer, there are bigger things involved than just the present pain. We have to have perspective. What motivates Jesus to be involved in this pain, and hear the choice of those words, what motivates Jesus to be involved in this pain? Jesus chose to be involved in this pain. We need to be choosing to be involved in pain. Because it teaches and guides and moves and shapes our heart to be more like Jesus. What motivates Jesus to be involved in this pain and this injustice is the greater good that comes from obedience to the Father. Joy and peace like we can't describe are ours when we are obedient. Secondly, we have to see pain and difficulty in this life as less than the prize. Do, we, do you believe that? The pain and difficulty that you face in this life is less than the prize that you face. I said at the beginning that Mark was getting his information from Peter. So the stuff that Mark writes is what Peter was telling him. Here is this suffering servant. I understand this pain and the suffering of this world is less 
than the prize of knowing and following Jesus. Peter penned these words in his epistle years later. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. The suffering that He did on the cross that I witnessed caused us to be born again into a living hope through resurrection of Christ from the dead. And here are the most important words that Peter ever writes. Into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter's words are, the prize that you have, the prize that's greater than the suffering that you have, are imperishable. They, they can't be touched. Undefiled. Kept in heaven for you. Do we see that in the midst of our suffering? We must. Verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Meaning, the total prize that we will receive when we reach heaven we can rejoice in this although now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials god brings trials in your life on purpose so that we can see him as the ultimate prize and so that we can be more christ-like so that the tested genuineness of your faith what is in you is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire May, found, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we are in heaven, glorified, we will look back, reflect upon our sufferings, and say, that made me more Christ-like. Praise God for it. And here, we are blessed with the privilege of seeing these words before and during our suffering. Walk through it. Gladly walk through it. Because it makes us more Christ-like. And the point of our existence, the point of, of why we're here is to be more Christ-like tomorrow than we were today. Here's the game plan. Suffer like Jesus did. Suffer well. Suffer quietly. Suffer and serve while you suffer. Let's pray. God, I thank You so much for Jesus. I thank You for the picture that You have shown us tonight of Your suffering servant Son, Jesus Christ. May You infect our lives with the brilliance of that image. May You cause us to serve. May You cause us to suffer. May we see You as the prize. It's way more valuable than any suffering or discomfort or pain in this world. I thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.